You're listening to a UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. Our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify and on SoundCloud. For more information and to listen to hundreds of podcasts, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. In this episode, a recording of the final event from Framing Aging, a clinical, cultural and social dialogue. This hybrid conference took place on the 2nd and 3rd of December 2021 in UCD Humanities Institute and featured 15 speakers across seven panels. Framing Aging is supported by Welcome Trust. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from all our previous events, check out the project website at framingaging.ucd.ie. This episode features panel four, Successful Aging and Technologies of the Self. The speakers were Susan Pickard from the University of Liverpool, who presented on Bringing Together Successful Aging and the Double Standard of Aging. How do these terms intersect to shape women's embodied aging? And Wendy Martin from Brunel, who presented on Visual Representations of Old Bodies and Their Data, Exploring the Data Sphere in promotional images of smart sensor technologies for ageing at home. This is my attempt to, to reflect a bit on the, I guess, the, well, what we were asked to do, which was reflect on a bit of our papers or our presentations and, and reflect on how interdisciplinarity and taking part in the workshop helped. Um, and, yeah, so I will, I will try to do that. And I'll also try, because I sort of, was amending it at about half past seven this morning, trying to trying to speak to the various presentations we've had yesterday as well, to some extent. So I'll try and answer answer some of the questions, or at least one or two of the questions raised by Paul and Julia, particularly yesterday, about cultural gerontology and where where we should go and, and, and how we should do it, maybe. Just, just a quick summary of what Susan Sontag identified as the, the features of the double standard as they affect women. Um, importantly, she said that this is about ageing, the experience of feeling oneself aged. It's not about being old. Uh, it's a social judgement. Um, for women, it's necessary to, you know, if you are going to be successfully aged, I suppose you, you don't age at all. So you depart from the standards of beauty associated with youth as little as possible. It's an internalised thing directed by women at other women and at themselves, as well as by men at women. Um, and this is a quote from, from Susan Sontag. I remember my closest friend in college sobbing on the day she turned 21. The best part of my life is over. I'm not young anymore. It's something that happens early on. It happens to young women. You know, students in my classes, you know, they t- they'd speak to me afterwards and say, but I'm really old. Uh, and, I, and this really affects the way women think about their life trajectory and the possibilities open to them in a way that it does not seem to affect young men uh, at all. Um, so resistance or successful ageing in another, um, another manner, according to Sontag, believed, she believed it lay in embracing age, so or maturity, I suppose you could say. So um, instead of being girls, girls as long as possible, who then age humiliatingly into middle-aged women and then obscenely into old women, they can become women much earlier. So it's about not resisting ageing. 
and about accepting that there perhaps are more standards, more more norms, more more interesting ways of, of ageing than um, simply growing older without growing old as such. Um, of course, she also pointed out that men, importantly men, have various um, templates they can age into. They can age manfully and into the, the silver fox ideal or simply into an attractive older man in the way that women can't. So, um, in my previous presentation, I looked at how a consistent plot or form of discourse you can trace back a long time if you wish to do so, but it's also very, very, very present, very, uh, you know, obvious and evident in, in current life writing by women is the idea that somewhere in, in midlife you have the chance of one last great expression of your sexuality and after that the curtain of age comes down. And this is exactly the time when the kind of opposite thing happens with men. Men are rejuvenating themselves through new relationships with younger women. It's a cliché, but it's, it's true. No less true for being a cliché. Um, so thank you. One of the things that has come out of this workshop is that I actually wrote the paper for the series and I, about three days ago, the lovely Journal of Ageing Studies accepted it. I love that journalist. It's my friend. So thank you very much, particularly to Gillian for your input at the time. So that's really great. But what I thought would be really interesting is to look at how, um, you know, since, well, since Sontag wrote, you know, to what extent since the 70s have women embraced the idea of resisting that double standard of ageing? Have women embraced the idea that there are interesting ways to age and that, that, that women can no longer need to hold on to this, this youthful ideal? Um, and before I say that, I, I just wanted to address a point I think Julia made, which was, you know, where do we start in terms of our discipline here? And I, I want to sort of give a shout out for the importance of midlife, really, because, well, first of all, if, you, if you're interested in sort of gendered work, which I am, it's a time when men and women's trajectories of ageing sharply deviate. As I say, aesthetically and socially um, and representationally, men are coming into their prime and women are marked as losing their youth. This is not just an aesthetic thing, though. As, as Des pointed out, aesthetics have a lot to do with the way one is received and, way, and the way one, you know, one's own self-image goes. Um, but it has ramifications across the breadth, breadth of life experience. So, you know, employment. Um, women are judged in different ways. I mean, let's j just to, to, to put it in, in, in brief, the demographic that is least likely to succeed in getting a job if they're unemployed are midlife women. Um, at, at 45, women tend to hit a kind of... Um, ceiling, whatever you want to call it, clock ceiling, time ceiling. Men have another 10 years before they're considered to be too old for promotion. So, um, and there's lots of, lots of jobs where one's youthful looks count a lot. So, um, and not just the obvious ones. So, so this, this really impacts on women's value as women. Um, of course, cohort studies and Diana Koo and all those people point to this as a time of important intervention to stave off health problems in later life.
but there's also a social dimension to this. So I, I would advocate, certainly, midlife. I don't think that we necessarily have to go back to youth and look at 21-year-olds feeling that they're ageing um, horribly already. But, I, but obviously, I, I also think that, you know, a bit like Margaret Gallet's work, you know, the process of ageing as a, a thing that starts early on in life is, is important to at least to acknowledge um, and we need to understand older people in their life course contexts, their histories, narratives, the way they make sense of their lives. So, so, but certainly I think midlife should be part of this. So look, yeah, I'll go quickly back to this resistance idea. So, you know, can women, do women now, today, let's say how many years is that? 50 years after Sontag wrote, can women let themselves age naturally and without embarrassment? Well, you know, this this horrified me, this this whole Linda Evangelista thing. Of course, it was dressed up uh, as something to do with cool... It's a cool sculpt. This... this oh, yeah. She, she used a um, method of... Um, or an attempt at removing fat cells with a, a, an implement. Do you, I don't know whether everybody knows this, but... Um, and it's a, it's a long sort of cold bar that, that um, a, a practitioner applies to you. In her case, it was under her jaw and various other parts of her body. And it, what it does is freeze the fat cells and then you expel them eventually. Your liver digests them or whatever and you literally flush them out. But um, she maintains that it, there's very, very rare contraindication that, that appears in about 1% of people where you, it doesn't work and it makes, it makes things worse. But, but, but I also read this as, as Linda Evangelista at 56 finding it very difficult to accept the natural ageing process. She described herself as brutally, dis, brutally disfigured, permanently deformed and unrecognisable. And there's kind of difference between her. In a later life, she, she was in her 40s when the picture on the left was taken and then that's her um, at the point where she's launching a big compensation claim against this beauty therapy company, Cool Sculpt. Um, she says, it's not only destroyed my livelihood, but sent me into a cycle of deep depression. I would like to rid myself of my shame. So she's embarrassed. Um, I would like to walk out my door with my health, head held high, despite not looking like myself any longer. And of course, lots of people, I, I looked at the New York Times and the London Times because I was subscribed to both, so I get the wonderful below-the-line comments. Very different newspapers, both of them, though they share the same broad title. You know, one is much more left-wing than the other, and, and readers of the Times can be very politically incorrect. So, uh, so, interesting range of, you know, quite contradictory comments. So, she looks fine. So what? She's gained a few pounds. She doesn't look 25 anymore. And then someone making the good comment, well, if Ms. Evangelista was instead Mr. Evangelista, who was a pitcher whose arm was ruined, it seems to me the comments would be vastly different. Um, some people have expressed schadenfreude. She was the woman who said, after all, I would never leave my bed for less than £10,000 a day when she was at the height of her modelling career. Well, welcome to the world that everybody else lives in. Um, and then other people saying, well, she was on the downward slope. Of course, she was menopausal. What do you expect before she had the treatment? So, so there's one example. I mean, it's an extreme example, but still it sort of shows the, 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 the grip that 
this ideology that women need to age successfully by basically not showing any of the outward signs of aging, it's still perhaps more pronounced than ever. You could do something else. You could use a filter. There's Madonna on the left without a filter and there's Madonna on the right with a filter. Uh, she very rarely appears in public because she doesn't want her unfiltered, um, uh, age-free um, uh, appearance to be, um, you know, undermined by the way she really looks, which is on the left. Um, you know, she, she famously wants control of all the pictures of her as well. She reacted really badly to people mocking her or saying, come on, you know, some of, some of the, the, her, her reactions to Madonna's use of filters, which I've taken from the Daily Mail. Um, she looks like Betty Davis. You know, she's got the boyfriend who could be her son. Get real. How do you, you know, she looks great, other people say. Now, I interviewed some women for a study on um, the double standard of ageing and how it's affecting their lives. Uh, I haven't had time to write it up yet, but... There was this thing among women in their early 50s that they always used to say whenever they were faced with a difficult decision in their youth, what would Madonna do? You know, it was always something, you know, because she was always the person that would push the boundaries. Um, and there's a lot of sense of loss that she's let the side down because whatever she's doing, and people were really divided amongst the group of women I talked to. They, they weren't sure whether she was trying to be radical by saying, look, I'm still going to go ahead, even though I'm 63 and, and, and act like a sex symbol. Um, or whether it was just really sad. Um, and one said to me, it would be a lot more radical if she allowed herself to age naturally, but then it might not be seen as radical, just as someone getting old and no longer worth thinking about. So that's the bind that I guess we're in, particularly women in the public eye. Um, it reminded me of the picture of Dorian Gray, the before and after, you know, um, he mocked the misshapen body and the failing limbs and he would place his white hands behind, beside the coarse, bloated hands of the picture and smile. But obviously, that's to take it out of its historical context. And I think Tom Cole has done a really good... Uh, at some point, he's, he's discussed the way that sin and beauty were connected in the 19th century in America. I mean, I, there's a different aesthetic history that, that we need to look at in, in different countries. But I, this isn't appropriate. But it just reminded me of Dorian Gray. But she said... I'm going to look any way that I want. She, she, she went in response to all these comments. She produced this very weird sort of um, manga, anime version of herself. And I want to say that I'm, it's a free world and you're not in charge. I, I want to say that I'm rising above all the stuff. I'm connecting to my perfected soul. So it's a really, really weird idea of transcendence. I think transcending the body very, very much of the time we have this real virtual age problem and I think younger people don't even think that ageing happens I think they feel that we're failing if we, if we allow it to happen because surely we can do something to stop it happening this, this virtual landscape is, is really affecting people's mentalities and making us more Cartesian than ever, we're more disembodied than ever there's also I'll say very quickly the compulsory menopause discourse where women are encouraged to, uh, and that's Margaret Gillette's term but in a Foucauldian sense, people are, women are encouraged to share their stories, which is good and bad, because they're also encouraged to think of it as problematic. And, you know, HRT is becoming fashionable. The idea is, again, HRT is becoming fashionable. I'm not going to talk against HRT particularly, although I, I'm not a fan of it. 
Um, but I would say that it's all strengthening the idea that women's naturally ageing bodies are in need of intervention of one kind or another. Very few articles in any newspapers or anywhere you read in, in popular media will talk that, about the advantages of going through menopause or the positive, the positive side of ageing, or even that there can be a negative and a positive that are intertwined. And now there's a new medical intervention which I'm really interested in, ovarian tissue cryopreservation, which promises that the menopause can be delayed. So that's getting women the idea that, you know, you can be in control of your body in this way too. Right, so this is, this is the quote I've taken from Des, who's busy looking at his own presentation. But I, I found this really helpful to focus the mind, you know. So it's the idea that, as, as Julia said in, in, in the last presentation as well, that cultural gerontology provides a framework for better understanding the meaning and individual experience of ageing. It's the sub subjectivity, it puts the subjectivity back in. But in terms of meaning-making, medicine and science and cultural social theory play an integral part in shaping subjectivities and cultural attitudes. So, yeah. So what do these approaches to the older female body signify? Okay, well, that ageing well or successfully acquires retention of youthful norms, obviously. Um, changes are read through a lens of illness or loss and or objection. They're grotesque. I'm not at all denying, Paul, that there is such a thing as decline. But it's not the only thing and it needs to be far more nuanced. Um, a broader meaning in life course terms has all but disappeared. Every age is disconnected to the ones before and after. There's no understanding that loss and gain can proceed together. One of, you know, Simone de Beauvoir's idea, the ethics of ambiguity, life has got... All the good and the bad are interconnected. The idea of the project of the self seems to be more developed than ever before. And I think social and cultural studies and social, social theory and sociology have played a bit of a bad part in this. I find postmodernism and queer theory, the idea that bodies are infinitely malleable, and even extreme social constructionism, which I was in love with for years, <laughs> I've thrown out the window you know, there needs to be um, a real rethinking of, um, you know, putting, putting real life experience at the centre of what we do, even in our really interesting theories, and coming back to the materiality of the ageing body and never forgetting that. We've got heightened intergenerational contempt, especially aimed at older women, which I think is a product of our, you know, all these trends. We've got patriarchal retrenchment and gender retraditionalisation, I would say, very strongly that come through here uh, and we are going in an opposite direction to that suggested by Sontag so how finally last quick two slides how can we reframe aging using interdisciplinary approaches I mean you know I don't have to tell you lot you know what we can do alternative histories traditions we already have in our own canon you know in our own even in medicine there's really different you know you find really interesting 19th century practitioners of medicine, for example, that understood the menopause very differently to most contemporary practitioners um, do. So there is, there's a lot of um, alternative histories. A bit reminded of Julia's um, idea that her experience of going in with this idea that somebody's got a bent back and glasses and, well, you didn't say glasses, but snowy hair or whatever. Um, I think we, we need to go back and, and have a very open mind as to what ageing might have meant in different periods of time and look for that. I'd like to see us do more th 
do our work. I mean, this is our, this is speaking to Julie's question. I'm not by nature really an activist, but I like I would like to see us do more work through do more through our work to help practical things like older people navigate and make sense of different aspects of ageing. I mean, even in the group of older women that I interviewed, when we talked about the double standard of ageing, a simple concept, it really helped them. They all said, understand, gosh, yes, there's this double concept of, this double standard, and it's the major narrative, but it doesn't tally with my own experience. And, and so, you know, there's reading groups you can do for older people that give them different ways, like, you know... Um, the olive again kind of work that show them you know how other older people have, have you know through fiction and literature have 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 dealt with their own experiences and uh, and serve as talking points for embarrassing topics um and we can also provide tools for clinicians to understand ol older subjectivities i really like the idea of for example photo phenomenological toolkits that can help you know give clinicians some social theory basic theory that they can then meet older people halfway to understand that lived experience which is really hard to grasp otherwise i'm a big fan of phenomenology just as i'm i hate queer theory um <laughs> innovative visual methodology such as the stuff that wendy et al are doing photo voice etc really brings a way of translating older people's experience to a wider audience through through images and non-verbal ways that can really speak um, and, and, you know, and, and, make, and make people understand what it really is to be old. Many of us don't, don't know that, even in the field. And I, I believe that, yes, let, every, let a thousand flowers bloom. I believe in methodological eclecticism, and um, I suppose. And, uh, and I think, you know, although I, with all the provisos above, it's fine to have queer theory done by some people as long as you... Other people are banging the drum that we shouldn't forget the reality of, of, of lived experience ever, including the dark side of that, uh, which as I get older myself, is I feel I no longer can do that. Or, you know, it, it's not a fancy theory that I can come up with that can somehow abnegate that experience because it's still there. So that's it. Bang on time. <laughs> Hi, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, um, everyone. And um, thank you for this opportunity. And some of what I'm going to say kind of fits nicely um, with what Susan was just say, saying before. Um, I says one of the things we were asked to, to consider um, was um, issues around interdisciplinarity and what we've gained from, from this framing ageing and how ageing is framed or Hopefully, what I'm going to reveal, hopefully, show a little bit of how futures of aging is also framed, which is something to think about. Um, when I did my last presentation, I was in the methodology um, and methods and methodology. So I, I talked about my photographing everyday life and the use of visual images. So I am going to return to the visual images and the importance of methodology. Um, and uh, I would um, so, but 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 also go go to the. Um, topic that I was asked to um, initially talk about um, around aging digital and everyday life, um, which is obviously I've been doing a lot of research um, and how that's informed both through the cultural gerontology um, work that I, I've been doing, which around lived experiences, identities, subjectivities, but also work with science and technology studies in which, you know, people are 
uh, designing and implementing technologies, um, in particular my interest around, around digital technologies. So what um, um, I hope to do is, is talk a little, come back to, to that interdisciplinarity towards the end and just say it's informed, but I also think there are limitations of interdisciplinarity as well and, and how, how, we, how we can fixate that, uh, how we can, can deal with that might be something we want to think about. So I'm kind of going to present a little bit of work I've been doing with some Canadian colleagues, um, um, Kirsten Ellison's a postdoc, um, Bob Marshall from Trent University, and Isabel Pet Pedersen from Ontario Tech University, in which we did some um, uh, uh, explorations, um, systematic explorations of visual images associated with the growth of this sort of silver economy in technologies and the um, the sensor technologies for, for people aging at home and the, the websites and the visual images associated with that. And what do they tell us about the images of, of the, the framing of future aging and the framing of future care? Um, as I say, it's both been informed by an interdisciplinary approach and um, like to recognize the Social Sciences Humanities Research Council of Canada that, from which this is, this is part of the project. So inevitably, um, and with some, I, and this is something I think I might, um, it comes to what Julia was say, saying yesterday, is that how we frame aging is, um, and how we are required to have impact is that nearly probably every research proposal and or publication starts with talking about these alarmist discourses. So I think that might be something to hold on to because, you know, sometimes, you know, we, for the impact, we need that and we do it and it valid, you know, gives about, you know, this is why this is important, et cetera. But also, is it always, is it always what we want to do is to, to point out these alarmist um, discourses around the care gap, aging populations, demography, which are, you know, and, and how do we deal that? Um, from our many di different disciplines, but there we are. That's that's part of the the background to, to this project as well. And alongside that, there's been huge around of lots of new aging in place policies. So about people aging, you know, growing older in their own homes, and and technology um, is seen as a very innovative way to position and a very cost effective way to see to explore this what is called the problem of aging. And um, Des talked about the IAGG um, yesterday, and last time it was in San Francisco, and I think it was the first time technology, particularly digital technologies, had actually come to aging conference in that sort of way. It was a huge conference there. And the silver, silver economy is, is out there developing um, ambient monitoring devices and wearables um, to remotely track and monitor older people with their biometric data. This is bodily data, it's very intimate data about their activities of daily living. And that is probably where I say that it's important for us to be involved in the people who, you know, engage with people who are designing and implementing the science technology side of this, as well as the critique of, the critique of it as well. And these are sold often about independence for, for people as they grow older, living at home, and also that, that for carers that have this ability to, to, to keep an eye on and without being immediately present, keep an eye on, 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 on people, they, their loved ones. And from the science and technology and aging studies, there's some talk, um, you know, and um, 
re-edited a volume about this, and I, I note that towards the end. But there's been huge growing concerns um, around what do these technologies mean around privacy, controls, surveillance, autonomy, implications for the relations of care, and the power for older adults as well. But whilst there's been that um, been there, there's been less less work done on the promotion of these and how the speculative images of these technologies, how are they promoted um, and sold effectively? Um, you know, or people are also consumers, you know, huge consumers and, and, and how, how that is. Because within that, you can see the kind of lifestyles that have been imagined in some ways within the design of these technologies. And they, you know, and, and how, you know, there's this landscape of a technologically enhanced and successful aging um, of a, you know, digitally enabled data-driven lifestyle of independent or older people that are sold. So the actual, the, the lifestyle is also sold alongside um, the, the technology itself. So what did we do? Um, we looked at, our main aim was to look at the, the ways um, aging has become datafied and and how this is visualized by technology companies to promote their projects so how are these how is the data visualized in promotional images of smart sensor technologies and what what, what happens to my other key interest around aging bodies and relations of care um, and we focused on smart sensor technologies of both wearables and ambient monitoring devices within the home so in, um, in earlier in 20, this year, we, we, we looked at 14 websites or companies um, and, um, and we, we had 20, 221 images of which we, 93 were identified as visualizing data in some way. And then we did a, a semiotic informatic analysis. And we, this is work in progress. We, we are working on a paper at the moment. We, in an abstract for special issues, I don't know if it'll be successful, but so this is we are going to be working this working this up. So any feedback will be obviously be useful. And then we sort of talk about how the the data sphere and aging is 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 visualized. So you know the the, the data sphere is often called of a space that interconnects the totality, the digital ecosystem which includes technical, the devices, the physical, the physical environment, the social environment, the human environment, and the political environment. And so I think, you know, comes back to that, you know, how do we highlight the political ways of what's going on here, through which data produced, circulated, and legitimized. And there were three key themes that, um, that came from the data um, around old bodies and their data. So we call captured data, spatialized data, and network data. So I'm just going to say something about each of those. As you can see here, we've got a range of, um, in the capture data, a range of images which are handheld. So these are these are displays with, with a mobile, desktop, desktop, mobile, handheld. And the way that the, 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 um, the mobile or the devices are held is that the person is indicated as being front-facing in some ways, but also is, is not at all present. And it's often carried, it's this classic thing of older hands. So I think if you do visual research, you, you will know, you will soon learn that aging is signified in some ways by hands. But these are not necessarily older hands here. This is this is an imagined person looking in as when you're looking into these websites. 
And so there's and the, and the, a lot of these images are showing um, these ambient sensors and where the, the devices that are, are a series of many ways of risk assessments and and patterns of behaviour. So if you can see here, it's looking at eating, um, how how active bathroom activity, sleeping. I mean, very intimate everyday activity activities of daily self and patterns of behaviour. In which, in many ways, the person, you know, and then I think this is something, you know, is quite interesting. The older body is all about these technologies, but the older body is also invisible or, or not present within these visual images. Um, the second one was around spatialized data. So here we can see um, how um, the data is, is shown. It's often, it's very interesting. It's this sort of floating images of arrows and you see, you can see it's like yeah. The, the idea is 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 for the sense is it is it these technologies are, are are not obtrusive. They're not present. They're not obvious in in people's lives within the home. So they're, they're sort of shown by these floating nodal points, icons, and and this type of thing, and and about in which the home itself becomes in many ways a data space. Um, from data that's produced both from devices and, and from, from bodies as well. So whilst it's kind of, and, and it's also within the place and how these are signified as well, with these little floating, um, floating, um, you know, notes about what, what's happening and things like that. So the, the images, um, you know, in some ways are showing, you know, visualising a transformation of the home into, into sort of could be described as a disciplinary space that in which the older person is tracked uh, and observed, um, and in which every all every movement and activity is seen as as a potential for either an intervention or or, or, or concern or risk, and often risk in visual images, um, as I've talked about before, is often the negative risk. Um, although the although these this tension between the positive, negative, and the independence and risk is, is a continual tension throughout these images as well and throughout most images of older people. Um, and the third one is around the network data. So what's also very interesting is who gets this data and where does it go? Um, I mean, okay, we can talk about the companies who collect this data and what they do about it and big data, there's, there's that side of it. But there's also the idea of the imagined carer, loved one, who is um, who, who is observing and tracking and monitoring this older person and maybe getting an alert if, if someone is late getting up and you know it's like the you know it's the invisibility paradox um, which we have you know the same with, with you know with women old old women which often comes from the idea of old women and their bodies is often is all you see is the old old women's bodies but it's also older women feel completely invisible. And it's this same invisibility paradox we think is kind of happening there. These networks, these care networks, and the older person or these networks of a range of different technologies that interconnect um, is all very, very interesting in that sort of way. So to just say, you know, again, we have these alternating images of aging that goes positive, negative, successful, risky, active, decline, independent surveillance. And, this is, you know, very, you know, doing visual research, this, this comes up again, you know, significantly and can be shown in many different dimensions. Actually, the materiality, corporeality, maybe as Paul would say, is often what is lost, lost and reduced to data points, um, automatic, 
you know, automatic, automated care scenarios and also disentangled from other contexts and things. So this is, you know, in some ways the way ageing is being framed um, in, in this particular context in which these sort of tensions between independence and valence of old bodies and how the actual space of where we live as we grow older is, is continually contested, complex and ever-changing. I think I kind of say that because often ageing in place always, always seems to assume places it, it, it's static in a way, um, whereas, of course, space also changed. So, and to come back to the interdisciplinarity, you know, definitely this has been informed by, I suppose, over the last few years, my work with cultural gerontology, my work with social gerontology. And if you're interested um, to have, you know, critical age scholars and people who work in SDS, um, and I'm really interested in connecting those, is a really um, um, there's a, a new network that well, is kind of formalised, it's been, been developed in the last few years, which is really interesting. And, and it also comes from some of the sort of work from the culture of gerontology with Julia, who presented yesterday and talked about that, and also the social gen technology work which we're bringing together. So um, thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Framing Ageing. For more information on the project and to access podcasts and videos from our events, check out the project website at framingaging.ucd.ie.